familiar passage of Scripture, but as I am discovering, and I'm sure you are too, um, those familiar passages bear us um, revisiting and, more importantly, applying the principles that we read because they're, uh, they're very challenging passages for us and, and principles that we, to are, we are to apply. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm reading verses 1 through 18. I'm not going to have you stand for the full 18 verses, just for the first, uh, about the first three, and then we'll have you sit, and then we'll continue. Romans 12, 1 through 18. All right. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has apportioned to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. Dear Lord, we thank you for this portion of scripture that we have read. We ask for your wisdom as we go through it, Lord. Um, we want to understand what your word says to us, and more importantly, we want to apply it. Lord, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated, and I will continue reading. Picking up at verse 4, For just as in one physical body we have many parts, and these parts do not, ha do not all have the same function or special use, so we who are many are nevertheless just one body in Christ, and individually we are parts of one another, mutually dependent on each other. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them accordingly. If someone has the gift of prophecy, let him speak a new message from God to his people in proportion to the faith possessed. If service in the act of serving, or he who teaches in the act of teaching, or he who encourages in the act of encouragement. He who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy in caring for others with cheerfulness, loves to be sincere and active, the real thing, without guile and hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, detest all ungodliness, do not tolerate wickedness, Hold on tightly to what is good. Be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly affection as members of one family. Give preference to one another in honor, never lagging behind in diligence, aglow in the spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord, constantly rejoicing in hope because of our confidence in Christ, steadfast and patience, patient in distress, devoted to prayer, 
continually seeking wisdom, guidance, and strength, contributing to the needs of God's people, pursuing the practice of hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, who cause you harm or hardship. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, conceited, self-important, exclusive, but associate with humble people, those with a realistic self-view. Do not overestimate yourself. Never repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought for what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. All right. So, you know, as we look at this passage, just reading through it, I mean, that's, it's, it's a long list of things to do, but what what we find is a, uh, at least three times it's mentioned something along the lines of not thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to. Um, it's interesting. Isn't it interesting that that's repeated? Not to think more highly of myself um, because we can tend to do that. Um, and we, maybe we can do it quietly. It's, you know... Um, but let me, let me start. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Presenting my body as a living sacrifice. Kind of ask yourselves, okay, what? What does that entail? What does that look like to present my body as a living sacrifice? Um, my physical body, also my thoughts. Um, it requires that I know what God's requirements are. Um, I can't uh, live a holy life if I don't know what God says. It's important for us to spend quality time in his word on a daily basis. Uh, let's see. Do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. There are many times um, when, actually, I don't watch a lot of news for this very reason. We, news and television, we get a steady diet of the world system downloaded to us, not to mention social media. Social media is really bad. Uh, just a steady diet of the world system. Um, the world system tells us that our life is built on what we possess, on status, on you know, taking great vacations, and obviously there's nothing wrong with taking wonderful vacations. Um, having the best car, having the best house, um, nothing wrong with that, but if that's my focus, if that's where I gain my validation, 
that's the world system. Um, and those things will take away from my focus on Christ. Um, you know how it works with social media. Um, people typically post, you know, their wonderful European vacation. Um, you know, maybe they're in Martha's Vineyard or the south of France or whatever. And what that can cause, it, it may not happen for everyone, but what it can cause people to do is to look at it and say, I've never been to Martha's Vineyard. I've never been to the south of France. I'm, I'm not living a life that's good enough. I, I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, again, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs will be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. Let me ask a question <clears throat> to everyone here and to you all on Facebook. How many of us feel like we're growing in our faith? Can I see a show of hands? <laughs> Sometimes growth is slow. Um, let me pose this question. Do we find ourselves being challenged by God's word? Can I see a show of hands? Okay. That's an area of growth. If, if I'm finding myself challenged by what the word of God says, that means there's a desire for me to do that. So that's growth. Where I look at it and say, hey, you know what? Ooh, I'm not doing that. And I want to do that. Okay. Do not be conformed to this world any longer with the superficial values and customs. Would be transformed and progressively changed. Progressively changed. It takes time. Um, when we're born, naturally... <laughs> We don't immediately become adults, right? No. It takes time, right? Years. Some. <laughs> and during that process, we have to eat the proper food, right? I can't really grow if I'm eating Pop-Tarts and Cheetos, hot Cheetos, right? <laughs> because there's very little nutrition in Pop-Tarts and hot Cheetos. In fact, there's some dangerous things in Pop-Tarts and hot Cheetos. There's some chemicals that are dangerous See, I would call Apple up here to tell us about the, <laughs> and she's a nurse, teach us about the dangerous impacts of food that is not nutritionally dense. The same applies for us spiritually. 
We have to eat solid food. And we have to eat solid food daily. I can't eat once a week, right? Naturally. I can eat a wonderful meal once a week. And then I say, okay, I'll be back next Sunday to eat again. It's going to be a rough week. Okay. But be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has apportioned to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. For just as in one physical body we have many parts, and these parts do not all have the same function or special use, so we who are many are nevertheless just one body in Christ, and individually we are parts of one another, mutually dependent on each other. We, as a church body, and those on Facebook, we are a body. And we need each other, right? Um, and that's something we have to learn. We have to learn to depend on each other. Uh, a big thing for me, something that I'm learning to do, and it's something we do a lot with the guys on Saturday, Saturday mornings, <coughs> is we try to practice vulnerability. Ladies typically do a better job at that than guys do. Um, sharing the things that we have challenges with. And what I found, and I know you, you all find this to be the case as well, when I share something that I'm having a challenge with, I think it allows someone else to do the same. And for them to say, oh, you're kind of struggling in that area as well? Okay. Well, I can safely share, you know, my issue with you. Obviously, we, our goal is not to condemn or judge, but is to, to come together as a, as a body of Christ and to help each other. Because we're all dealing with something. We're all growing. We're all learning. Uh, let's see. Verse 5 again, so we who are many are nevertheless just one body in Christ, and individually we are parts one of another, mutually dependent on each other. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them accordingly. If someone has a gift of prophecy, let him speak a new message from God to his people in proportion to the faith possessed. If service in the act of serving. Speaking of service, there are a number of people in this fellowship who serve 
behind the scenes. And we, we never see what they're doing, but let them stop doing it. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what they do. Um, so that's, that's very important. You know, often we can give special attention to those who may, you know, be behind a pulpit. But for instance, those who clean the restrooms, let them stop doing it and see what happens. Those who empty the trash, those who, you know, whatever it is, if those things stop, there will be an impact in the body. Okay. If service in the act of serving, or he who teaches in the act of teaching, or he who encourages in the act of encouragement, and this is kind of where we're going to focus a bit on encouragement. Um, let's see. More specifically, I'm going to focus on verses uh, 15 through 15 and 16. And we'll, we'll get there in a second. Okay. Or he who encourages in the act of encouragement. He who gives with generosity. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy in caring for others with cheerfulness. Love is to be sincere and active. The real thing without guile and hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, detest all ungodliness, do not tolerate wickedness. Let me, let me ask everyone here. Um, this is something that I'm learning to do as I, as I grow. I'm learning to examine my motives. Do, in, does anyone else do that at times? Examine your motives? Can I see a hand or two? <laughs> I have discovered that sometimes I can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Have, have you all found that sometimes to be true? I can do the right thing for the wrong reason. I can do something to be seen and maybe to be congratulated or recognized, but not with a pure motive. And I don't want to do that. I, I want to be pure. You know, I, I want my responses to be authentic. Um, I want to genuinely interact with people. Again, we're, we're a family. We're a body. And, I mean, we're, you know, we're... You know, with Pastor Randy, he's, this has been a tough time for him. And, you know, to, to really empathize with what he's experiencing right now, to try to step into his pain, if you will, because all of us, have experienced some level of grief or loss or pain. Um, we cannot get through this life without experiencing some level of pain. And 
and it's necessary, it's really necessary for our growth. I cannot effectively empathize and connect with someone really until I've experienced a level of pain myself. Because, and we'll see this, you know, we're going to talk about Job a little bit, and, and particularly Job's friends. I say Job's friends. Um, I think at times when someone is going through a challenging period, and I think that's why in this passage we see three times to, to not think more highly you know, of ourselves. And again, talking about motives, we can see someone going through something tough and sometimes our thought can be, well, they're not doing something right. If they, maybe if they prayed harder, can I, can I get some, <laughs> yeah, it, it happens. If they, if they just did something different, they wouldn't be in this situation. And really, what, what we're really saying is, I wouldn't be going through that situation because I would handle it differently. You all feel that way sometimes? Okay, okay. Just want to make sure. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Again, checking my motives. When we think of God's sovereignty, and again, we're going to talk about Job, Job hadn't done anything wrong. Um, and yet God used these things that he experienced to strengthen his faith, to strengthen his relationship with God. Um, all right, let's continue. I'll do my time check. Okay. Let me go back to verse 9. Love is to be sincere and active. The real thing without guile and hypocrisy. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4, what is the first definition of love? Patience. How many patient people do we have in the house tonight? Patience is a challenge, right, for all of us. Um, I think it's Galatians 5, and I like the way <clears throat> it's defined. I, I've shared this before. Patience is not just the ability to wait, but how I act while I'm waiting. Patience is not just the ability to wait, but how I act while I'm waiting. You, you all have heard me say it before. I can wait for the bus or I can wait for something in two ways. I can sit at the stop and I can... <laughs> ah! Ah! Or I can take my seat. bus will get here. It'll get here. 
and that's something that I'm, I'm really, hmm. I'm working on that in my own life, is, okay, God, we, you know, we, we read through scripture, we see, we see how God has worked in the lives of those throughout scripture. And patience is a key, essential, necessary component in all of their lives. Let's take Joseph, for example. Um, from the time that Joseph was thrown in the pit, and again, he had, he had told his brothers of the dreams that he had had, that they were going to bow down in front of him. From the time that Joseph was thrown in the pit until his brothers actually bowed down before him was 22 years. <laughs> you like that, Martha? <laughs> 22 years from the age of 17 until 39. And in between that, he was in Potiphar's house falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown in jail, forgotten by the baker and the cupbearer. And, and I, I love the authenticity of scripture because Joseph wasn't just like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Joseph was, at times, he's like, wait a minute. In fact, with that account, when the, when the baker and the cupbearer forgot about him, he told someone, he said, you know what? I've done nothing to deserve being here. Don't we feel that way sometimes? When we experience things like, wait a minute. But then we have to lean on the sovereignty, the love, the mercy, the loving kindness of God that, okay, God, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand it. But God, your word tells me that you are, you are kind. That, that you're loving, that you're merciful. I don't get it right now, but okay, God, you are. Okay. So again, talking about love being sincere and active, the real thing without guile and hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Detest all ungodliness. Do not tolerate wickedness. Hold on tightly to what is good. Be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly affection as members of one family. Give preference to one another in honor, never lagging behind in diligence, aglow in the spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. Our service to the Lord shouldn't be drudgery. Constantly rejoicing. Ah, here's, here's a challenging one. Constantly rejoicing in distress. Devoted to prayer, continually seeking wisdom, guidance, and strength. Contributing to the needs of God's people, pursuing the practice of hospitality. Here's another challenging one. Bless those who persecute you, who cause you harm or hardship. Let me read that again. 
Bless those who persecute you, who cause you harm or hardship. Bless and do not curse them. Is that easy to do? No. I shared this with the men a few weeks ago. Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. And sometimes we can do the opposite of that. We can be jealous of those who are rejoicing, and we can, instead of weeping with those who weep, we can be judgmental, or we can say, you need to stop that weeping. Let me give you an example. Let's go to, well, first, let's look at how Job's friends, they started off doing it the right way, but then they quickly reverted to doing it the wrong way. Job 2, <clears throat> 11 through 13. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they looked from a distance and did not recognize him because of his disfigurement, they raised their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe in grief, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky in sorrow. So they sat down on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his pain was great. In this, these guys get two thumbs up. They started out great. They did it exactly as they should have done. They saw his pain, and they wept with him. They were suffering with him. They comforted him. Didn't have to say a word. They sat with him for seven days, and they were paying attention to him and saying, man, this guy's hurting, and I want to be here with him because he's my friend, and I love him. Great example for us. But as I like to say, then they started talking. Job 4. And listen to how cruel Eliphaz was. Job 4, 1 through 9. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we dare to converse with you, will you be impatient or offended? But who can restrain himself from speaking? Behold, you have admonished and instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the one who was stumbling to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now adversity comes upon you, and you are impatient and intolerant. It touches you, and you are horrified. Is not your fear of God your confidence? And is not the integrity and uprightness of your ways your hope? 
And this is where he really gets me. Remember now who being innocent ever perished or where and in what circumstances were the upright in right and in right standing with God destroyed. As I have seen those who plow wickedness and those who sow trouble and harm harvested. By the breath of God, they perish and by the blast of his anger, they are consumed. Let me translate that. You have obviously done something wrong, and God is punishing you for it. And I'm going to tell you about it, because you're not being honest with us. In the Job 2 passage, it talked about Job being disfigured. You know, he had the boils and everything, and he was scraping them with a potsherd. So these guys came in firing on him. They said, okay, we gave you a week. <laughs> now we're going to go in on you. That's not being kind. It's actually being quite arrogant. And, and we know through the story that They were way off base, and God had Job pray for those guys. He was very disappointed with uh, those, his three friends. And that's a, a reminder for us. Um, we serve a God of mercy and love. And he's patient with us. And I think about that. Um, let's go back to Romans 12. <clears throat> uh, that's verse 13. Contributing to the needs of God's people. Pursuing the practice of hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, who cause you harm or hardship. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy. And weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. Here's something that I have found, and I kind of touched on this earlier. I shared this with uh, the guys a few weeks ago. When I see someone grieving, maybe they lost a loved one or, or they're suffering through pain, it makes me uncomfortable to see them hurting, so I want to make them feel better so I'll feel better. Let me say it again. When I see someone hurting, They've lost a loved one, and I see that they're, they could be depressed, sad, grieving. It hurts me to see them that way, so my response is to make them feel better. Hey, let me encourage you, because that'll make me feel better. So in some ways, it's being selfish. 
the scripture tells us that when someone is weeping, I am to weep with them. I think Job's friends did it the right way, starting off. They just went there. They sat with him. They cried with him. They were hurt, but they didn't say anything. Great lesson for us. Hey, is there anything that I can do for you? Sometimes it's no. You know, um, you all have heard me share this before. I think one of the first, one of the first, one of the worst things that we can tell anyone who is grieving is it's going to be okay. Uh, because I don't know the depth of their pain. For some people, it could be 10 or 15 years before it's okay. Everyone grieves a little differently. Um, it would be better for us to let's share, just share in their pain. Is there anything that I can do for you? Do, do you need assistance in some way? Weep with those who weep, share. And when I do that, I am sharing in their grief. In essence, I'm lightening their load to some degree. It is a great comfort for someone who is grieving to know that, hey, there is someone there who is not being judgmental. They're there if I need them. Sometimes someone who is grieving just needs a listening ear. They may just want to vent. Because you know what? I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. But providing advice for someone who's grieving? <laughs> no. 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 It doesn't help. And I think this is why, when we look at this passage, Okay, it says, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, conceited, self-important, exclusive, but associate with humble people, those with a realistic self-view. And it says it again, do not overestimate yourself. Never repay anyone evil for evil. That's another challenging one. When someone has wronged us, our natural inclination is to look for ways to get back at them. Maybe it could be something as simple as giving them the silent treatment. You've hurt me, I'm not gonna talk to you. Or, you hurt me, I'm getting you back. Or, as uh, sometimes we hear people say, you know, as believers we are called to forgive, some people may say, I'll forgive you, but won't forget, which means you haven't forgiven. 
this is a challenging passage for all of us. And, you know, um, I, I must do a better job on blessing those who persecute me. And praying for those who have hurt me. You know, I, Pastor Randy, as he's been going through the Psalms, you know, he's gone through a, a lot of the imprecatory uh, Psalms where, you know, David's, God knocked their teeth out. Sometimes we can pray that. God, God knocked their teeth out. <laughs> they treated me poorly, knocked their teeth out. <clears throat> but God is patient with us. All right, I'm almost done. Let's go to Psalm 119. This is, I did not send this to you, Joe, so you're not going to find it. I think it ties back into the earlier portion of Romans 12. And we're going to read the entire. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> All right. I am looking for. Okay. I'm going to start at verse 33. Psalm 119.33, and I'm reading from Amplified. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will steadfastly observe it to the end. Give me understanding, a teachable heart, and the ability to learn that I may keep your law and observe it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. 37, turn my eyes away from vanity. All those worldly, meaningless things that distract, let your priorities be mine and restore me with renewed energy in your ways. Establish your word and confirm your promise to your servant as that which produces awe-inspired reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinance, ordinances are good. I long for your precepts. Renew me through your righteousness. I like the 37th and 38th verses in particular. Turn my eyes away from vanity. All those worldly, meaningless things that distract. Um, You know, as we talked about in the earlier portion of Romans 12, um, the things of the world are designed to distract us from God, to distract our attention, to have us focusing on whatever the case may be. And... As we know, some things are, are kind of subtle. You know, it's just a, just a little, a 
shift of the focus. And our focus can begin to to be on revenge or whatever the case may be, instead of on the sovereignty of God. We went through a study a few year and a half, two years ago in Isaiah, and there are a number of passages in the 40s in Isaiah that talked about that God of God being in complete control of everything. Everything that we experience has been ordained by God. Ultimately, to mold us into the image of Christ. You look at Job, what he experienced. Uh, I mean, harsh, but you know, at the end of it, Job, Job's relationship with God was was much deeper, much stronger, much more intimate. Um, in fact, Job said, I had heard of you from the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So certainly God wants us to present our bodies to him, our thoughts. And it's a challenge. It can be a challenge for us at times. And it's, it's an ongoing pursuit for us um, to seek his direction, um, to pour out our hearts to him, you know, to acknowledge, God, I, I need your help. Uh, let's see, back to... Thirty-three, Psalm one nineteen one thirty-three. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will steadfastly observe it to the end. Thirty-eight. Establish your word and confirm your promise to your servant, as that which produces awe-inspired reverence for you. Um, walking in awe of the Lord. Lord, the instructions that you've given me, and even more than that, God, who you are, I, I'm in awe of you. Um, so, just a few thoughts for us tonight. Um, again, Father, we do thank you for, first of all, who you are. You, you are holy. Lord, you are righteous. We need you. Um, Lord, you have given us these loving commands, um, Lord, to, to mold us into the image of your Son. Lord, and your desire is uh, for us to be intimate with you. Lord, you desire for us to pour out our hearts to you, to, to worship you in awe-inspired reverence and obedience. Lord, we thank you that you love us and Lord, we, we pray for Pastor Randy and, and Jeanette and, and the family as, um, as they're, they're dealing with a lot. Um, just ask that you provide them comfort and uh, just more of uh, what you desire for them. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.